Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema, a podcast about craft beer and film. This is episode 193. Mr. Johnny Summers, what do we have in common with a circus? Um, we have big tops. That's right. There. We have quality tent content. That is, and we're coming at you every week from Chico, California. Wah, wah, wah. And that's Johnny Summers. Just go with it, man. Okay. Let me have that, this. That man riding an elephant while whipping a tiger there it is, is Max Minardi. And this and is together. the greatest show. <laughs> this is the greatest show. We should just we should spend like two we minutes. We light up the Instagram <laughs> just for fun. Every Twitter week, just like untapped. Writing an intro that pertains to the movie of the week. That's oh. what we should do. I was going with it. Yeah. I was going to sing all of our social medias. Oh, oh wow. I didn't, mean, I didn't know yeah. that's what I was doing to cut you off. I, I'd encourage that. That'd be great. Well, you you cut it off. So it's too passed. late. Can't happen. Well, what are they? Um, yeah, at Fresh Hop Cinema. Those are the ones that I sang. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Untapped, Letterboxd, at Max Minardi and Johnny Summers. Email us at fhccast at gmail.com, freshhopcinema.com, patreon.com slash freshhopcinema to help support the show financially. We appreciate all of you. And rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. On one note, uh, Patreon-wise, yeah. we had a fantastic event uh, the cat has been released from the bag since we did it, but uh, I'm going to tell you all, if you were in Patreon, you would have gotten to go to the movies with us because we rented out a whole movie theater, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. that's why you should support us financially because we make really cool things like that happen. Uh, took all of our patrons and yep. their plus ones, or in Miyagi's case, plus like <laughs> I think I think his was plus, plus six, technically. Yeah, he Which got is a plus to say, six. we didn't bring all of our patrons because not everybody could go, obviously, but those that could, uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, those that could got to bring more people, and it was really awesome to see all Miyagi's kids, and, uh, you know, obviously safe, socially distanced capacity in the movie theater was 20, so we all had our own space, and it was really nice to be able to do it in a safe way and responsible. It made us feel good that, like, you know, not only do we get to see your faces and drink beer with all of our patrons, but we're being responsible, and we're not just being knuckleheads and having a house party, so I think it's definitely a best-of-both type situation. So shout out to all of our patrons that made it and the ones that didn't. We love you anyway, even though you're not as cool. Uh, and sure. thanks for your continued support. But Johnny, I mean, nobody wants to watch Tenet again, and we don't want to see the movies that are in theaters. So maybe maybe we should clarify what we did screen. Why are you saying it? like? <laughs> I was trying to be like a person that didn't know. I was like, but I don't want to watch Tenet. I want to watch. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, just, yeah, you're weird, man. And it's, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm in a weird mood. I'm not sure why. We wa- we watched The Goonies. Um, yeah, they have a bunch of options. You could watch new stuff. You could watch throwback stuff. And that was something that was like middle of the road as far as content where I thought it'd be cool that people could bring their kids. Totally. And a surprising amount of people had never seen it. Kyle Williams had never seen it. Jared Schmidt had never seen it. I think Jared uh, hadn't just, seen it all the way through. And I think James hadn't seen it all the way through either. Yeah. I was like, which, what? So, which great. I mean, cool. Hell yeah. It's a classic movie. It's yeah. hilarious. Did you? Can we talk about it for like two seconds here? Uh, we could talk about it now or we could talk about it in hot and bothered. Let's talk about it now. It Let's just, fine. yeah. Let's I mean, like, cause I hadn't seen the Goonies and I mean, I showed it to my wife a few years ago who also hadn't seen it, but like, I hadn't watched it certainly through like a modern society kind of lens. And I found some of it a little bit cringy. Did you have that experience at all? Oh yeah. It's like any movie from the eighties. There's <laughs> going to be moments where you're like, Ooh, 
I know. But, like every every line that Data has the 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 Chinese American kid like is just pretty stereotypical. Like the truffle shuffle stuff kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know. It's still it, it is what it is. But there was something that I was all, like, okay, yeah, like. Yeah, some of it I get, like the the data stuff probably couldn't happen now. Sure, I mean there's, I mean shit, you could make a list as long as I am short of <laughs> the movies that from the '80s that you couldn't make today. Sure, you know, yeah, and some of it, yeah, it was definitely like not acceptable, and some of it yeah. just like it's just dumb kids totally. being dumb kids. Yeah. But either way, it still held up as like entertaining, and I I had a blast watching it. It was really fun to see it on the big screen. And hang out with everybody. Like it was just, it was a fun time. I had a blast. Yeah. So on that note, if you are in Patreon, keep your, uh, I think, you know, your, your alerts on for our Facebook group or for your Patreon notifications. We'll be doing another one of those movie nights, hopefully um, sometime next month, uh, as long as uh, everybody's down with it. I know Johnny and I are up for it. And if it comes to it, we'll watch it by ourselves because we liked doing it. That's right. We had so much fun. Um, Can I announce the winner of last week's competition, my friend? I think we can, yeah. Okay, so we, if you aren't on Patreon or you didn't, or you don't follow us on Instagram, you don't know this, but we've been doing a thing lately for our patrons on Patreon. We do bonus content where Johnny's been making up these hypothetical scenarios and we talk about them for 15 to 20 minutes. And then lately we've been putting it out to other people to be like, well, what do you guys think would be the best option? And last week was what one actor could you put in a bad movie to make that movie good? Maybe great. And we hashed it out for a while. I can't remember um, what our picks were at the moment, but the winner is our friend and patron, Nick Land, who came in with a couple of good suggestions. He emailed us in, but the winner was uh, Mark Wahlberg replacing, and I think this is fitting for your flick pick this week, Adam Sandler in 50 First Dates. His reasoning was, Marky Mark can hold his own comedically, obviously, but he has that rugged, handsome, good look that can actually keep a girl interested every morning. I think his more sarcastic humor and Boston accent take it to a more rom-com than a com-rom, which I really, uh, great explanation, Nick. I think uh, you deserve a beer out of our cellar and we will give you one. That's right. The inventor of the the NMFL4 locometer. Indeed. That was last week, right? We, you had to rate a beer that way? Yeah. It comes up every once in a while. It's good yeah. times. That's awesome. Shout out to Nick Land for being the winner of this week's contest. Indeed. Uh, and our, you know featured patron of the week I suppose so you got anything else um before we dive into our first beer uh no man it was just a great event i look forward to doing it again let's uh let's drink beer deal okay what are we drinking first so the first beer that we are consuming is from a brewery that is new to me new to you new Mm -hmm. to the area and new to distribution they're a brewery called crown and hops crowns and hops they're out of inglewood california uh this beer is called elevated cypher it's a west coast traditional like ipa 6.8% 6.8% ABV, Mosaic Citra Hops. Something about the union, I'm going to read from their website now, making that clear so you guys don't think I have a weird announcer voice. Sure. <laughs> Something about the union of shared philosophies and rhythm create a vibe that can't be duplicated. This can occur in a freestyle session with MCs, a business meeting with executives, or a family conversation focused on building generational wealth. Uh, <clears throat> this elevated conversation is critical to our growth as a community let's always be about the elevated cypher i feel like this beer name could be a metaphor for our podcast too sure yeah it's 6.8 percent, man i've just poured it in my glass it's clear as day a super straightforward looking ipa it's a little bit bubblier than i expected without leaving a ton of a head it's just kind of got some champagne kind of bubbles rising from the bottom but it looks great i haven't had a chance to taste it yet uh, or even smell it but have you had your first sort of taste into this bad boy oh yeah and thoughts thoughts man this this is quality uh 
for being the first thing I've ever had from this brewery, this is really damn good. Uh, it is hoppy up front, but it's got like a juicy body, but it doesn't overpower the bitterness. It's super crushable and drinkable. I really like this. Man, this is good. What do yeah, you think? No, you had it, it? Yeah, I just tried it. It's uh, Everything you're saying is absolutely right. It's it's super light feeling. I, I wouldn't have pegged it at 6.8%. It drinks more like a 55 or maybe 6% beer, but it's it's wonderfully layered. I like what you're saying about sort of the juiciness, but the hot bitterness is definitely sort of the 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 star of the show here. This is this is very good. I agree. Obviously, like if you put a mosaic forward beer in my direction, generally I lean that way. And, and Citra, you can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a really decent pairing. It toes the line between like, um, you know, not not maybe being as showy as a single hop beer, but also not losing your hops in uh, you know nine different hop varieties. Yeah, absolutely. And it strikes me as kind of a the. I would say if you, it's hard to describe, but there's this this taste that you get from more modern West Coast IPAs. Mm. Uh, I get this a lot in like some of Urban Roots beers, definitely some of like New Glories. I get it a lot in uh, Slice. Oh uh, sure, their beer. This taste of their 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 balance is it definitely tastes new. It feels like a generational thing, and it's it's this nice robust hoppiness mixed with this splash of juiciness that like I feel is a bleed over from the, the East Coast New England style of, of beer. Yeah. That really is just kind of bleeding in and and seeping some influence onto this more straightforward West Coast IPA. And it's it's influencing in a way that gives it this subtle sweet backbone that's just like massaged by bitterness in a way that is like really pleasing. Like it's like it's such a nice balance that it's not like, you know, you get some sweetness from the malts and like certain breweries like Lagunitas, you get so much sweetness from the malts that it's like a characteristic, but this is different. This isn't like a malty sweetness. It's that, that juicy sweetness. And I think that that's a real trademark of this newer generation of brewing. And I feel like the, the West coast IPA is evolving into not just straightforward, bitter and dry. It's getting more layers. And I'm really liking this trend in this style. Uh, it's probably my favorite style. And the fact that it's still advancing and getting better and gaining outside influence makes me really happy. Do you think that's accurate? And I'm might've just spoke out of turn, but like, is there any breweries that you can think of or beers that might, you know, kind of line up with that theory? Well, first of all, I mean, that was all really well said. I was having some of those same thoughts, but wondering how to put them into words. And I think you're absolutely right. I was going to say on the other end of that spectrum, instead of kind of the heavy maltness, you have, um, especially with OG sort of West Coast breweries, you'd have something like Stone with like Arrogant Bastard or one of those mm-hmm. that's just all about being as as intensely aggressive and hoppy as possible, which like, I don't know. I know there's people out there that are just like, I only drink the most bitter IPAs ever. Like if it's got any sweetness, that's not an IPA. And like, I don't, whatever. I, if that's your thing, cool. But I think to to look at this beer and be like, well, this isn't pure to style, like things evolve over time. And if this is the direction that West coast IPAs are heading, then yeah, I'm with you. Like this is a great beer. I'm mm-hmm. super into it. Um, yeah, I think Lagunitas is probably a really good counterpoint with maltiness for sure. Like they, they do have really big beers and they often don't feel as hoppy as I think they probably should. And they just end up feeling sort of just heavy, I guess, malty and heavy and, and not necessarily want to drink a ton of some of them, but this mm-hmm. one I could, I mean, this is a pint can, which by the way, we haven't talked about the can, but it's a, Really, really nice looking can. 
Um, yeah, it's sort it is. Of got, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's got like script all over it, and in it's sort of like a dark blue shiny can with uh, it looks like black almost cursive writing, and then the stuff that you really need to see is in gold, almost embossed out of it, and that's all the like the logo of the brewery and the name of the beer and that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, like I could drink certainly a four pack of this. Did you buy it as a four pack or just singles? Um, these were singles. And it was available in singles and four. So, but I just did. Yeah. It. Uh, I grabbed two singles for us because uh, I wasn't sure. Yeah, obviously, I didn't know it was good. Sure, uh, at least this good. Yeah. I might have bought a four pack, but luckily, this uh, I purchased this beer down in Roseville. Okay, at Final Gravity uh, Bottle Shop and Tap Room. But I have been seeing this pop up. It's at you know my favorite place to buy beer in Chico, SNS Produce. They yeah. have it on the shelves. I've been seeing it. Like I saw it at Spikes. I think they have it at New Earth. So it's around. If your favorite bottle shop has it, more yeah. Than, excuse me, more than likely. Um, which is fantastic because I was like, crap, I have to drive to Roseville to buy more of this. But then sure. I remembered I saw it like today in Chico. Yeah, so man. That's it, super exciting. And it's also a super fresh batch. It says on the bottom of our cans, it was canned uh, September 22nd. So uh, literally a day under a month from when we are drinking this. And I've had this beer for like two weeks. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we've been, We I think, well, I've had it for one week. But yeah, maybe you've had it for two because you dropped it off last week. Uh, mm-hmm. that's wild. And yeah. A month is so still so fresh. And the fact that we've been able to sit on it for two weeks and I don't think it's fallen off much. I would assume. No, can't imagine what it would have tasted like. <laughs> yeah. No, man, this is, this is a great, this is a great pick. I feel like we've had a couple of beers over the past couple of weeks that we've been very excited about that were sort of underwhelming. Um, yeah. So this is great. I'm, I'm very excited. So it's always awesome to find a new brewery too, where you're just like, Oh, wasn't aware that you existed. And I'm super glad that you do. Exactly. I feel like I found that a little bit last week with uh, South Lake Brewing. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But th- this beer is definitely more delicious than that one. I'm just going to say that, yeah. first of all. I think we, we um, came out kind of middle of the road. Not middle of the road, like slightly above. I think we were both in like the six to seven range yeah, on those. And this exactly. is higher for that for me. Definitely for me as well. And one thing I did notice, too, from this brewery, seeing stuff around, like from going from never hearing of them to seeing this beer, uh, a collaboration with hen house or i'm sorry with modern times and a collaboration with great notion and that's all available on shelves right now like these guys came out swinging they're Wait, not they, like they did all those collaborations with those people also yeah and they're oh, all available right damn. now that's yeah. great that's a that's a power move right there you're like we're just busting right? onto the scene yeah like how to get me to take you seriously immediately yeah. first of all put out a beer this good second right. of all collaborate with maybe my two favorite breweries like totally. okay <laughs> uh well we gotta get we gotta get our hands on those beers dude yeah. We got to try it. Okay, Hops and Crowns. I see you. Yeah. I see what you're doing. I see you, and, I'm and I like you. I'm a, yeah. I'm a looking, I'm a liking. <laughs> um, okay. So I've had a little bit more. I'm actually, I'm down to about, I'd say a third of this beer left in the pint can, but um, I could, I guess we got to get to the stuff. Is there the, the negative stuff? Is there anything negative to you or is there anything you, you're not loving about this? I mean, I only have one. Oh, that's, um, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. This feels like a very, like a new the new evolution of the IPA and I'm, I'm just, I'm really liking it. There's really not much wrong with this beer at all. I think um, Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was filling space with an, um, right. not much, man. Not, <laughs> um, not much wrong with this. Beer. My only thing is I want a little tiny bit more punch out of the mosaic in the citra. I want a little bit more of, of what I would assume. Um, I, I don't know. There's just something that's almost too smooth about it. And maybe that's me mm-hmm. sounding like those people that are like, I want more hops, but like, I just need a little bit more of a statement as far as the beer is concerned. Does that make sense? What You want it like more bitter? I don't know if it's bitter. Um, Like what are, what are the traditional um, flavor characteristics of like a mosaic hop? 
do you know off the top of your head? I'm pretty sure I know, but I don't want to sound dumb if I'm wrong. <laughs> you should definitely sound dumb. Okay. Well, I just, you know, like mosaics are typically, I mean, they're very aggressive. I remember the first one that I had was like, oh man, it was, it was, oh, what was the brewery? It was down in San Diego. Um, oh, it was St. Archer and they had their mosaic IPA and it was like nine and a half percent. And I remember feeling like it was, it was almost like, like it was definitely fruity, potentially like almost like a berry flavor, like definitely tropical. And it's got like the citrus thing going and like even some pininess, but there was something different about a mosaic that grabbed me right away. And I think it was like, is my, is my, I'm going to sound so, so dumb if I'm wrong, but I think it's like a berry quality that mm. a good, like single mosaic IPA definitely puts out there. And I just want a little bit more mosaic expression here. And granted, I am really nitpicking here, mm. like very, very intensely, but I think I have to say it. It's fair enough. That is fair enough. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I like it for its, you know, the citrus and floral and the sure. pine. Um, I think it has that for me. It, I don't. It has all that for sure. Yeah. I think it's it's a little crazy pants to be like, this delicious IPA is too smooth. I know. I don't actually feel great with my phrasing. And maybe I don't even feel good with my stance. I, I'm open to changing my mind here. But because, again, I like, like I'm drinking it more. And it's, it's so I, good. You, you should just take a step back and listen to the words you're saying. <laughs> it's too smooth. Too drinkable. This beer is too smooth. It must be stopped. Yeah, I get, yeah, you're right. Like I'm not. I, I don't know. It's hard to be like I want this flavor out of this beer when all the flavors I'm tasting are good. If it was bad, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, I want more of the good flavors. I guess that would make sense. But I, yeah, you might be right. I can't just be here and be like, I love what I'm tasting, but I want a different thing. I don't, yeah, I don't think that's totally fair. Just buy a different beer, Max. I guess I'm just getting nervous about throwing out a ten. I haven't done it in a while. Don't be scared. I'm getting stage fright. Don't be scared. You're the one that's like the most willy nilly with tens. Not I've, with beers. Mm, actually, I've given no. way more tens with beers than I have. But that's that's a, a, it's a different yeah. researchable thing. Sure, I, I don't have time to do. But uh, you can't be scared, man. I I don't. I'm not seeing much wrong with this. I'm not either. Okay. Well, safe to assume then you're you're in this boat as well. Yeah. I mean, it's so smooth and crushable, like. This is one of the biggest surprises, uh, like first impressions from a brewery I've ever had. Yes. Um, this reminds me of like my first experience with El Segundo IPAs drinking Mayberry. Mayberry. Yeah. Like just, holy shit, this beer is like, this is what I want a West Coast IPA to be. Reminds like, me of period. my first experience making love. Yeah? Yeah. I it's thought like, I knew it, everything at seven and then pff, I knew nothing. <laughs> No, uh, no, it's, it's so good. Yeah, you're right, man. Like it's, it's, it's good. I can't, I can't find anything wrong with it. And and I'm trying, I'm trying more than I usually do. Well, I mean, when it comes down to the minutia, you have to look a bit harder to find something small. Sure. And Uh, I could not, it's not there. It's not there. All right. So then dude, yeah. Hops and crowns elevated cipher. I think, should we just say it on three? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Sure. Okay. Well, let's rate it together on three. One. Two, three, ten. ten. All right. Ten. Okay. We got a 10 out of 10 on the podcast for what, the first time in what feels like, oof, I don't know, certainly months. I know the last 10 that you gave, I want to say, was the um, the sloth uh, beer. Yeah, the sloth beer from Double Nickel. Oh, God, that was so good. That beer was I'm actually, Dude, I'm actually worried that the second, not worried, I'm actually excited that our second beer today, like, I was just reading. I was like, that sounds right in that sort of same vein. I can't right? wait for that second beer too. But yeah, we're not there yet. 
So I did a really good job this week. I'm awesome. <laughs> I guess so, man. Although, did you? <laughs> well, we'll get to beer two when we get to beer two. Okay. Yeah. Very excited. Um, how much was this? It was about six bucks. Yeah. Hundred yeah, percent cool. worth it. Cool. Yeah, I'd for sure do that. I bet you it's yeah, cheaper as it, a four pack too. Probably. Yeah. I think it's like a twenty dollar four pack, and if this is a completely available beer to you in Chico, so I think you and I would both recommend getting out there and grabbing this if you do grab it. Email us. Tell me what you think. Tell Max what you think. We like to hear that stuff, and maybe we'll read it, or we'll just read it to ourselves. I mean, we'll read it. Maybe we'll read it yeah, on the show. I, I know what you meant. We'll see. <laughs> maybe we'll read it. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, in it the depends. meantime, Johnny, let's move into uh, let's move into flick picks. You have this one. Uh, you have one this week, which is a new film. And after the trailer, I will let you tell the people what the modified title should be. But in the meantime, and with its original title, here's a trailer for Hubie Halloween. Well, hello, my ghouls and goblins. I know you've got your costumes picked out for the frightful festivities. <laughs> and I hope you all get more treats than tricks. I don't want your partner. Is he a good guy? Hubie Dubois is the nicest guy in this town. Here is some happy Halloween word searches. You can pass it out to the kids. Thank you so much. As a trained volunteer, I know what it's like when the spooky fun gets out of hand. Officer no, no, no. the supermarket's selling expired bacon. Janet at the library has not been herself lately. I heard a voice in the sewer. I'm sorry, I didn't recognize him. It's pretty impressive how long he's been a loser. Oh, messing with Shuby Dubois. Murder! Ah! Salem tradition. <laughs> you gotta expect a scare here or there. There's something off in this town. Mr. Lambert? Mr. Lambert? Is that you? Oh, no. Salem PD? Yes, officer. This is Hubie Dubois. Strange when you're a stranger, faces look up. Salem needs me. What are you gonna do, Mr. Dubois? We're gonna do every October 31st. Make sure every citizen is protected. No one in Salem is safe tonight. So, would you lose your thermos? Oh, that'll never happen. Anyway, we got an unsolved mystery here. Oh, Cuba! I know who did this. Not now, UB. Mayor, I suggest we cancel Halloween immediately. We ain't canceling that damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is some Dateline NBC shit. You're the best person I know. That's why you're a hero. All right, Johnny, I already tried the name once, but I think that what you have written as the title is probably more accurate. So what was that a trailer for? 
So that was the trailer for Hubie Halloween, a cautionary tale written by Johnny Summers. <laughs> this came out in 2020. It was uh, written by, not me, unfortunately. Shoot. It was written by Adam Sandler, and for some reason, it took two people. Uh, so also, Tim Her- Her- Hurley yeah, wrote nice. this. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was directed by Stephen Brill, who also directed magnanimous hits uh, <laughs> named Heavyweights. Little Nikki and Mr. Deeds. Sure. Uh, this was released to Netflix October 7th, 2020. And we read, Despite his devotion to his hometown of Salem and its Halloween celebration, Hubie Dubois is a figure of mockery for kids and adults alike. But this year, something is going bump in the night. Whoa. And it's up to Hubie to save Halloween. This movie stars Adam Stanler, C. Buscemi, Rob Schneider, Kevin James, Maya Rudolph, Ray Liotta, uh, and a bunch of other cameo type situations. Yeah, I mean, it feels like, and I again, I, so I haven't seen this. Johnny watched it; it's his flick pick, technically. But it, just seeing the trailer, like, it has the traditional sort of Adam Sandler, like Happy Madison production, and then there's sort of yeah. those familiar characters that you just mentioned, and others, like you said. Um, and it's Adam Sandler sort of doing his, you know, like Billy Madison stuff. He's Adam Sandlering everywhere. Which I don't know if I want to be on quite the high horse to be like, but he just did Uncut Gems and like that was a dramatic turn. Like, I'm also really stoked. I'm, I was stoked when Click came out. And like, Punch Drunk Love is an amazing dramatic role from him. I understand. Still haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, and it just, it almost felt like a weird regression to see that trailer. But but how was this movie? One, I guess, why did you watch it? And then, and then two, how was it? One, why did I watch this? Well, it was on in my house. Somewhat like a ghost? Yeah. Put it on? No, it was it was the ghost of my wife yeah. last the other night passed. Sure. Um, yeah. She, this was just on. Uh, I sat down, and I was like, you know what, silly Adam Sandler? I'm kind of here for it, okay? I've had, like, Uncut Gems stressed me out. I still have a little That's PTSD right. from watching that. Mm-hmm. Like, I grew up with Adam Sandler as, like, Happy Gilmore, like, you know. Uh, Bobby Boucher, yeah. now Hubie Dubois. Yeah, no right. coincidence <laughs> there. Um, so I was here for it, okay? So I was expecting expectations super low. Um, what I found was a movie that was like 75% ridiculous and over-the-top, tongue-in-cheek, ham-handed, ham-fisted, ham-bodied, genitaled, I don't know, <laughs> ham-hubied. Okay. Sure. Yeah, uh, there was just, it was just hammy and cheesy and over the top but then it was like 25 percent really charming and had like a good moral story to tell about like how you treat people and how you shouldn't pick on people like there was a really uh, pure core to this movie and there was also all kinds of happy madison jokes i mean it was exactly what you'd expect from an adam sandler you know christmas yeah. or halloween movie uh it was, you know, as expected in its silliness. But there was a few times where I'm like, is this really this movie? Like, is this my life right now? Like, this is happening and I'm watching it. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, I mean, overall, it was it was like a silly, feel-good, like, Halloween movie. So, I mean, I love Halloween movies. If there's a new one, I'm going to watch it and tell you what I think about it. Um, and overall, it was, like I said, 75% just cringy and silly and just weird uh, and then, you know, there's like 25% charming and redeeming. Uh, there was also, you know, some heavy influence from the Goonies. He's pretty obsessed with his uh, thermos. He fills it with like sure. different soups, okay. and, like different soups for different like occasions and whatnot. And 
all of his thermoses have like powers. Like one has um, like a grappling hook. The other has a flashlight. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's pretty funny. Like it's definitely like a shout out to Data. And also if you're a fan of, of the Happy Madison movies, there's a ton of overlap. There's like a gang of kids on bikes that are always throwing stuff at them and they're the O'Doyle kids. Oh, okay, sure. So like straight from. Uh, yeah, what movie was that? All of them. I mean, they a little bit, but mainly um, Billy uh, Madison. The one where he's in school. Yeah. Billy Madison. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Forgot so, about that. <laughs> yep. And, you know, it makes me think that a large part of maybe why this movie was made is that Adam Sandler's friends needed money. Yeah. I've, yeah. He's a you really know, good like, dude. Like, that's. Yeah, uh, exactly. He, he gets like, shit on a lot, but. That, that's some shit he would do, though. Yeah. He'd be like, let's make a Halloween movie. Like, maybe not everybody's worked in a while. Like, I don't remember the last time. Like, Rob Schneider. Had a lot of speaking roles in a movie, like yeah, you know. So let's get the crew together and let's keep this rolling. And Netflix is going to pay us, so like it's a win-win. So I think, I mean, I mean that might have been a part of it, but also this struck me as a movie that might get made by someone that just has a lot of money to make silly movies with their friends. Yes. Do you remember? I can't remember if I showed this to you, but there was a a roundtable sort of actors discussion hosted by, um, oh, yeah, that was Hollywood the time Insider. When- yeah, but that wasn't that around the time when The Irishman came out. Yeah, right? so it's Adam Sandler because of Uncut Gems, and it, it's it's sort of like all of the Oscar uh, male Oscar actor contenders sitting at a roundtable. It was like him and um, Adam Driver and Robert De Niro, and I think Shia LaBeouf was there maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Anyways, I remember at one point Adam Sandler was like the first open, like everybody kind of got an opening question from the moderator, and the moderator asked Adam Sandler like a very like real respectful, honest question about his movie, and he was just like, like, honestly, I don't, I don't know why I'm here at this table with these actors. Like I made a movie and I respect the directors and whatever, but like, I don't think I I belong here, which is so, um, this shows a lot of humility, obviously, but it might reflect on how he actually feels about his work, which is all to say, like, it, maybe he caught some momentum from uncut gems, especially with Netflix and was just like, yeah, like to what you're saying, like, may, like you guys need money. Like I kind of have some some weight to throw around. I can be like, Hey, Netflix, trust me, we'll make this good movie. And they'll just believe me. And then we'll all get paid. I believe he would do that. Like hot take. Adam Sandler has a list imposter syndrome. Wait, is that to say that he impersonates a listers or no, that's, he is an a lister that is like becoming respected as an actor, but but he doesn't feel like he deserves it. (laughs) Oh, for sure. And then makes a movie like that's imposter syndrome. Like I don't deserve this. Like, I'm an imposter in my life. Like, I don't deserve any of this. Are you oh, not geez. familiar with that? No, I just call that a Tuesday, but sure. Oh, yeah, totally. You should look into it. You I might will. have it from the <laughs> sound of that sentence. Yeah, um, but no, it's a thing where, like, you um, like you don't deserve the success you have. Like, wow. you feel like an imposter in your own life. It's a really fascinating thing. Huh. And, you know, you see it a lot in, like, sometimes really famous people that are, like, way too humble. Like, they don't give themselves the credit even that they deserve. Yeah. Like, Maybe yeah, that hot take. Adam Sandler has a lister imposter syndrome. Fair and enough. Keeps moving, making making movies like Hubie Halloween. So so I mean, just watching the trailer, like it's clear. Like it's, obviously, you see the cast. You know it's Adam Sandler. You know uh, that it's the director that it is. Uh, by the way, Heavyweights, Stephen Brill's first movie, and I think it was ninety five. I really like, but I came up on like Ben Stiller and like that sort of. Thing. Yeah, um, totally. It's a great movie. Totally. But you do see like these people on the docket of this film. And you're like, yeah, like it's going to be a comedy. But watching the mm-hmm. trailer, it did seem like there were some potentially scary moments. Is that real yeah. or, or just me watching the trailer? 
Oh no, it definitely had moments. It had moments of like a little bit of suspense and like some dark scenes in a corn maze. Like, yeah, right. It it never goes like crosses the line into horror, okay. but it definitely has like moments. It's a whole. It's like a a scary comedy horror spoof type thing. Like in, it's not quite a horror movie, but it's definitely more. Con- it's like eighty five fifteen. So in a second, I'm going to ask you uh, how long it is and what it's rated. But along those lines, like, is this a movie that? like you would put on for kids or would this be more of a movie that people who grew up with Adam Sandler and, and his sort of uh, gang would own, they would, they'd be the ones that appreciate this. Or do you think like this could be like a fun, stupid, you know, Halloween family movie? Well, I think it really just depends on how old your children are. Okay. What's the age group that likes this movie? Yeah. Um, I think anywhere, if you're like over 12, you'll probably oh. like this movie. It was definitely PG 13. Yeah. It was not super violent, just some language and, general silliness and a little bit of scariness but yeah i mean it was a pg-13 movie so i would say anyone over 12 can watch this Uh, and it was hour 42 so it's not like a really long commitment um so i would say a little bit of both like for me i was from that second perspective that you mentioned of being like an older grew up with adam sandler fan but also i think this is a movie that like kids that maybe have never seen any of adam sandler's movies would really like for sure um, and Sweet. honestly, I, I liked it. I, I didn't hate it. Um, but I also knew what it was and what it was trying to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wasn't expecting anything more than that. So, I mean, expectations super low. Like, you know what you're getting yourself into. It's like watching cartoons and then getting pissed that they're animated. Like, why are you here? Sure. So, okay. I mean, overall, like it was a good movie. It wasn't great. It was like a solid, like five, five out of 10 for me. Like, okay. It was adequate. It was a fun Halloween movie, like, and we don't get many new Halloween movies with like right. A-list actors and like silly, like, I don't know. We don't get a lot of movies like this for Halloween, and it's my favorite holiday, and it's nice to see it getting a new movie from somebody that I enjoy watching. So if you like Adam Sandler's silly movies, watch Hubie Halloween. You'll probably like it as much as I did. Okay, then my question that I will, my two questions that I will ask you that I always ask during Flick Picks when I remember is do you think that I personally should watch this and will there be a sequel? Um, I think if you want to sit back and have three to six beers and like just have a silly time. A healthy amount. Yeah. Like yeah. if you want to have a few beers and watch a silly movie and maybe just giggle a little and be like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. But like on average for you, this this would be a no for me. But yeah. like it, it's Halloween time. If you're in the mood, you want to watch something silly, I'd say maybe, but like, you know, the majority of the time, this would be a hard no for you. Okay. So that was kind of my guess. Yeah. And then what was the second question? Will there be a sequel? Probably. Yeah, probably is, I think, certainly the right answer for a movie with all the descriptions that we just listed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably. If you want to watch it, again, it's Hubie Halloween. It's on Netflix. Let us know what you think, particularly if you're on Letterboxd, maybe link us your review and we'll get back to you with ours. Uh, you want to take a break? Let's take a break. It's spooky season, folks. If there's one place I know to go to get a blood-curdling cocktail or a chilling lager, it's the Handlebar here in Chico, California. They've got an amazing menu, fantastic happy hour, seven days a week, two to six. So you get your happy hour before it gets dark, not too scary. Uh, take the family down there. They've got food. It's going to be delicious. It's creepy time, so maybe they'll have some decorations up. You can get festive. I don't know. Check it out. 
Where are they at, Max? Indeed, they're at 2070 East 20th Street. Like you're saying, my friend, they got a happy hour seven days a week from two to six. Dollar off all their spooky, delicious craft beers. Go down and support a local business. You'll thank us for doing it. We promise. Ticasito is a beer that you picked out, Johnny, from North Park Beer Co. out of San Diego. It's a sour ale coming in at 8.5%. And I will say that this can comes with a, quote, Johnny alert because it does contain milk sugar. We discovered that on the break, so I'm sorry, but I am going to read the description, which goes something like this. <clears throat> We're big fans of tiki cocktails, so we thought, why not make our next Imperial Berliner a painkiller cocktail-inspired beverage? So we built this tasty drink with our, quote, Cito, Imperial Berliner platform, and then dosed it with over 800 pounds of pineapple and orange purees, plus buckets of coconut chips and coconut cream. And last but not least, a confident dash of nutmeg. It's tart, tropical, and totally tasty. Johnny, as your co-host and friend, I can recommend that you only drink a little bit of this beer because I don't want you to um, die. So have you poured it? And how much have you poured? Yeah, I poured... Two fingers. Good man. Okay. So maybe maybe three, four ounces, and I've taken two small to medium-sized sips, and okay. I'm officially done with this beer. Okay. Uh, is it because you don't enjoy it or because you know it might kill you if you're not careful? It's because it will kill me if I am not careful, and I was not feeling well last night and did not sleep well because of it, so I'm going to try and not repeat the mistakes of yester past <laughs> okay. by learning for future self and not drinking this. That being said... Upon my minute consumption, I have found that this beer is, in fact, quite delicious. Uh, it tastes a, like a lot like a tiki cocktail, mm -hmm. like tons of like that coconut cream. It's like a Malibu Lou. It's like a... Like Caribou a, Lou. Caribou Lou. Yeah, yeah. Well, Malibu Lou. Is, is that a thing? thing? No. I don't know. You're thinking of the Tech like, Nine drink. Yeah. Yeah, Caribou Lou. Yeah, isn't that like coconut and pineapple? I mean, I could rap the song if you want me to, but you and everybody else doesn't want that. But yeah, it's 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 Malibu. Um, I have to rap it. Uh, Malibu. Uh, that's something you rap it. Uh, okay, hang on. Uh, I should just. You know what I'm gonna do is just throw the song in right now. I'm just gonna drop in no. a bit of that song because they basically spell out the recipe. So here's the here's a caribou right here. It's like one Okay, so that's the idea. But this tastes okay, exactly so what's in it? like that. You just heard what's in it. <laughs> you okay, production note. I guess you didn't hear it, but everybody else did. But it's 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 Malibu rum, it's 151 Bacardi, and it's pineapple juice. And it's all yeah. mixed together. Um So this is yeah, this is for sure like a Malibu like a Malibu Lou. Caribou Lou. Caribou Lou. Yeah. 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 It is like yeah, that. I don't have you ever, I, so I, you've I, never had one? I, I think I've made one. I just never called it that. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, but I love, like, Malibu rum is a staple in my household because it makes anything, like, questionable yes. of, like, a tropical flavor taste good. Just the best. Like, we had some leftover um, lemonade Trulies. Oh, yeah. Th that are, like, questionable. And the mango ones are awful. They're disgusting. And I threw a shot of Malibu in there, and it was like, oh, yeah, it's got that, that weird, intense sort of sugary sweetness that kind of masks any any sort of uh, lack of confidence you might have had in your drink prior to pouring it in. Exactly. So all that to say, this beer reminds me of just like a straight tiki cocktail. Like yes. it's it's doing exactly what it set out to do, which is 
fantastic. So many of these beers say they're one thing and then they don't really deliver. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a few that we've had recently, particularly that Meyer Lemon Saison. Yes. Um, and there, there's been a lot that are just like all talk and no follow through where I feel like this beer actually follows through on what it's advertising in a very effective way. I get a ton of pineapple that tastes like pineapple juice, mm-hmm. not processed, not like pineapple concentrate or pineapple flavor. This is like raw pineapple juice. And then the coconut really comes through. Coconut cream, I think, was a great move. Yep. I use coconut cream in cooking all the time. I think it's fantastic in cocktails. When it's mixed with some sort of sweetener, it just brings out like the robust, creamy, delicious. Also, I think it's fucked that they put <laughs> lactose in this. If they're using coconut cream, they do the same thing. Wait, do you use coconut cream in cooking or coconut oil? Uh, I use coconut cream in a lot of, like, uh, I'll use it for um, soups. I'll do, like, a bisque with coconut cream instead of heavy cream. And also I use coconut cream and coconut milk in any curry that I make. Oh, yeah. Or, like, like coconut. Yeah, coconut milk, right, basically? No, I use coconut cream as well. Why can't I picture what that is? Uh, it's like coconut milk but more solid. Gotcha. That you have to, like, dissolve. Uh, it still it comes in a can just like coconut milk. It's just slightly different, more dense, and more obviously fatty because it's more of a right. cream than a milk. What does um, the but where yeah. does the cream come from in a coconut? Like where would you get the fat? Because it's not actual fat. Like it would be in you know milk cream. Well, like when you puree it or whatever, like the fat like congeals like the coconut because coconuts are naturally pretty fatty. Sure, just like avocados, they got a ton of good fat in mm-hmm. them. Um, the difference is with coconut milk, a lot of that cream is actually like filtered out that's why coconut milk is much lower fat than coconut oh, okay cream. sure yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. so that's the the main difference but um i really think that they could have done without the milk sugar because the coconut cream accomplishes everything texturally in regards to mouthfeel that they were trying to accomplish with adding milk sugar so shame 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 north park beer for adding lactose when in my opinion it's not necessary that being said i dig this beer it's really good. It's spot on. And if you like tiki cocktails and you can have milk sugar, I I would be drinking this with vigor. Uh what do you think? Have you have you put it in you? Yeah, well, number one is I just do I do feel bad for you. Because it is so good. And like I agree. Like I don't think it needs <laughs> like it, you got all the sweetness from the pineapple juice and the coconut milk and like your cream, sorry. But like just, you know, I don't know. I can't imagine that the lactose is really offering that much by way of sweetness and and not really even creaminess. Like there's so much body to this beer. It's eight and a half percent. It's super drinkable and so delicious and sweet. Like I, I, so that's my number one point. I'm just, I'm bummed that you can't enjoy as much as you probably would, enjoy, you know, like to. Yeah, it's fine. I, I accept this. Do you, pop quiz, trivia, do Go. you know why they use lactose uh, so much in beers for sweetening? Um, as opposed to some other type of sweetener? Yeah. Uh I get I mean to to thicken it up to make it creamier uh because it's non-fermentable. Oh, so that it so that not... it doesn't get eaten up when you ferment the, the beer like it doesn't the alcohol doesn't eat it. Exactly, and it won't um Im- increase your alcohol content. It'll stay it'll stay as a sweetener and not get fermented off. So oh, interesting. non-fermentable milk sugar. Yeah, that's why it's it's a big it's a popular ingredient to use cuz not only does it that's why it adds mouthfeel is because it doesn't get fermented off. It stays in its form interesting i feel like if i don't know if like if i didn't know that i would probably just add lactose post fermentation you know right but i guess guess, yeah i mean make it simpler maybe and just add it beforehand yeah i think maybe like you add it beforehand and maybe possibly when it heats it as when like Mm. the mouthfeel happens 
but yeah, it doesn't ferment off. So can we talk, can we talk nutmeg? Yeah. I don't get a whole lot of it, but I get maybe a trace of it, but that's another one that I feel like is maybe not necessary in this beer. Well, that's why it's a confident dash. You're not going to get more of a trace than a trace from a dash. Well, they added confidence. I was like, I'm expecting a lot of nutmeg now. Well, but you can just add one dash, but if you do it with confidence, that just means... (laughs) Wait, (laughs) so you took the confident dash to mean the way that they dashed it, not the amount? Yep, they're like, yep, I believe in myself. (laughs) Dash! Okay, well, me and every other normal person was like, well, that means a lot of nutmeg, but you're like, no, it just means that they did it with vigor. Yeah, maybe That's they're funny. like, you know what? This this needs this ingredient. I'm just doing it. Okay. Well, if that's true, then yeah, on point. But if it's I what I think it is, then there's not enough nutmeg. And I don't think it really needs too much. Um, and it almost takes it into the realm of like a like a wintry tiki cocktail, if there is such a thing. That's fun. That'd be a fun category. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you could make a, a winter. What would you put in a winter cocktail? Like a winter Literally, tiki cocktail. Literally, my winter cocktail would be... A white Russian, except instead of using Bailey's, I would use pineapple juice. Oh, uh, and instead of vodka, I'd use rum. I guess I'm describing this beverage, basically. Yeah. With a cinnamon stick. If you used milk with this much liquor, it would curdle. Well, make it? it make it half and half. That's fine. Or use the coconut cream. Or use coconut cream. Again, just describing yeah. this beer. Yeah, I love white Russians. I wonder, no, I've had a white Russian before I met you, but you like that movie as well. Yeah. I don't care about that movie. That's fine. It doesn't care about you. But I like white Russians also. Yeah, man. I like when they put out the different flavors of Kahlua. Like they did a peppermint Kahlua. Sure, sure. Dude, the most Christmassy. Like, come on. What's your like, like this peppermint is so, white Russian? so off topic, mm-hmm. but again, this is an eight and a half percent beer, so I, I blame this beer. Like what's your favorite sort of... um I don't even like the phrase guilty pleasure. I think if, if it's pleasure for you, then don't feel shame. Not mm-hmm. with everything, but like liqueurs, like for me, it's Di Serrano. I okay. love Di Serrano. Give it to me straight. Give it over. You haven't had Di Serrano. I don't think I've ever had Di Serrano. Okay. No. If, if for me, the liqueur is uh Rumpelman's for you, it is Di Serrano and I will get you some Di Serrano because you made me try Rumpelman's and I will yeah. get you Di Serrano. It's so good. Oh, yeah. Well, Rumpelman's is delicious. It tastes so. like liquid, thick-ass toothpaste. But yeah, it's yeah, delicious. Yeah. Um, but anyways, these are on his mind. What like you seem to really enjoy peppermint Bailey's? Uh, peppermint Kahlua. That's what I meant. Yeah. Um. I yeah, but that's just like an on a whim. Um, like guilty pleasure liquor or liqueur. Um. Huh. Like. Hmm. I don't really have any like, guilty pleasures. Like I kind of own it, but like yeah. oddball, more sure, like weird. Sure. Um, hmm, I don't. Crown Apple's really good. That's one <laughs> that like a great. lot of people would probably shit on, but yeah. Crown Apple is bomb. Um, yes. I also really like vanilla vodka mixed with orange Gatorade. That's disgusting. You're just no, making up exactly liqueurs at like, this point. No, vanilla vodka mixed with orange Gatorade tastes exactly like a, a orange creamsicle. Yeah, an orange cream stick. Of course it's, it does, yeah. It's so good. Plus, but yeah. you can drink it while you work out. No, you can't. You just mix it <laughs> just in a Gatorade bottle, Gatorade. and you're like, mmm, athletic. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not how that works. I don't think you can that's just exactly put how in a Gatorade works. bottle and be like, all right, now it's cool to take from my nine to five. No, it's like or when you're on a jog or you're just like riding a bike. 
Oh, he's a guy. Look at him. He's drinking orange Gatorade. What a smart, responsible, chunky fella. <laughs> no, if you... like, I'm getting <laughs> hammered, Steve. You don't know my life. Um, a few weeks ago when I bought my exercise bike, you remember that? Of course you do. Yeah, that was a fiasco. So I, yeah, my thought was like, if I buy it, like, cause I, my whole goal was for like exercising more, it's like lose a little bit of weight, but try not to change my lifestyle habits too much. So my goal was like, maybe I can just drink a beer while riding this bike and watching a movie instead of drinking a beer and watching a movie without a bike. And, and I think it's a good strategy. The bike didn't work out, but had it worked out, I think that's a pretty good strategy and it's in line with what you're describing. Yeah, man. That's why a lot of people like, you know, watch TV or whatever, like while they're on a treadmill. Totally. You know, or just like drink bottles and bottles of wine while you're on a treadmill. Yeah. Might as well, I guess. Who yeah, cares? Might, might as well. You know? Yeah. But I think as far as guilty pleasure liqueurs, that's probably it. Yeah. I okay. mean, peppermint schnapps is one that's a go-to, like Rumpelmann's. A lot of people think that's weird. Like the bartender at Argus yeah. laughed at you when you're like, do you have... And I told you, man, I told you they wouldn't have it. And you're like, I think they I have know. it. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I would know about it after all this time. But to be fair, to they be don't fair. have pickle juice either. That's insane. They should absolutely have pickle juice. Exactly. So it's now it not all, it all doesn't just make sense. But for That's different reasons, you know, like, like I wouldn't expect every bar that has Rumplemans to have pickle juice. I I'd would. expect every bar that has Rumplemans to have Jaeger. Sure. Pickle juice is more yeah. in line with like a fine, uh, not a fine whiskey, but like a decent whiskey. No, like a terrible yeah, whiskey right. that you yeah, would Yeah, you got to chase it with pickle shop. juice. Yeah. Yeah. It's making me want a whiskey with pickle juice right now. Sounds can we great, take a break? <laughs> you can't take a break yet. My, mouth is, my <laughs> mouth is actually watering. Can we take a break so I can do a shot, please? My mouth is watering because of this beer. How much do you have left, if any? Um, 98%. I mean, how much, how much do you have you think left? I fucking drank the whole thing. How much do you have left of what you were going to drink? Oh, like I literally took two, two sips like that just to get the flavor. Like what? I can, Sorry, like what? Like, you drink through your nose? Little, no, just two little like. That's okay. It. Well, okay. Two slurps. Let's wrap this up. I think this is a, one of the most satisfying and irrelevant tangents we've been on this early in the show. Um, all of our tangents are satisfying and irrelevant. And that's why this podcast exists. Sure. So I like it. I, it's actually a little bit too sweet for me. Like I've got maybe, um, maybe half the 16 ounce can left. It's, you know, it's, it's a lot. Like I'd much prefer to split this with somebody. I think the nutmeg isn't as present as it should be. It's very good. Um, but as somebody who has just sort of come around to the tropical, truly flavors that you've suggested, like it's, it's good. It's just, it's almost too pineapple-y for me though. Pineapple truly is life. I'm just putting that out there. Uh, I, I see your pineapple and I raise you passion fruit. I hate passion fruit and I don't like mango, but I could see the appeal. The tropical I, ones are the best from them. That's all I have to say. Yeah, but you're also picking out like the, the prettiest turds in a pile of shit. Just no, go man. White Claw. Just go White Claw. You know, it's like I two really, Honestly, I, I prefer pineapple truly over any White Claw flavor. That's there. fucking I said absurd it. because I'm drinking yep. one right now on the side and it's disgusting. I no, hate the pineapple and, ones. I grabbed it accidentally. Pineapple Truly is up there with my favorite flavor of White Claw. No other Truly. All the rest of the other Trulys can eat shit and die. But the Pineapple Truly is right up there with uh, Black Cherry for me. And to think that you were up there with my favorite flavor of people until I that know. sentence. I mean, first of all, that was a mistake on you a long time ago. So this is really more just a poor oh, reflection of you as a person. All right. We're talking about Ticasito from North Park Beer Co. Johnny, give it out of 10. What do you think? Uh, uh, out of 10 for me with my slightly handicapped drinking ability on this beer, I'm still going to give this like an, like an eight two. I think this is a oh, really shit. outstanding, 
representation of this style. I really enjoy the way it tastes. And for the record, tiki cocktails are supposed to be sickly sweet. That's why it's all like flavored rums and pineapple juice and sugar and shit. Um, so this really, to me, it nails it, what it's going for. Uh, I mean, obviously, I would love it a lot more if I could drink it. But straight up, just on the flavor and trying to be unbiased, this is this is killer. I think this is worth seeking out. All right. For me, it's a 6 out of 10. It's too sweet. And I agree with you. It's doing what it's trying to do. I just don't like that thing. It's too much. Like, be a little more subtle, damn it. I'm going to drink it all, have, but my God. Have you seen so a tiki intense. cocktail? I know, man. man I, but but here's the I, thing, my friend. More often than not, they come on fire. Good. I, that's part <laughs> of the experience. And you're giving me all that flavor, but none of the pizzazz. And I want the pizzazz. Dude, I want the little umbrella, and I want the crushed ice, and I want the fire. And I want the little fun guy's face next to me in the bar that I'm drinking at. And I want straw yeah, dude. coming and off the, the ceiling. Tiki cups are the business. Of course they are. They're basically just little coconuts. No, no, no. Like, look up tiki cups. Like, they're their whole thing. They look like like a hollowed-out statue. Yeah, but it's like, isn't aren't they often made of coconuts? No. They're very seldom made of coconuts. So if oh. you're drinking out of a coconut, that's just oh, a coconut. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I Googled it. Yeah, sure. Those are great. Yeah, they're amazing. Speaking you, of I've Argus, they have those. That's like a thing yeah, that Argus does. Yeah, that's right. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, okay, we got. I keep on. reading the name of this beer as Tiktoxito. Yeah, you've been on the internet too much. I have. All right, well, that's Tikasito from North Park Beer Company. It's an eight point two for Johnny. It's a six for me. We're gonna play you a trailer for the new film by Aaron Sorkin called "The Trial of the Chicago Seven, and we'll be back to talk about it right after this. We want to underscore again that we're coming to Chicago peacefully, but whether we're given permits or not, we're coming. We're going to Chicago to protest the Vietnam War. There's no place to be right now but in it. We watched for a decade while these rebels without a job tell us how to prosecute a war. They're going to spend their 30s in a federal facility, real time. People say, you know, Abby, are you concerned about an overreaction from the cops? Holy shit. You all right? It was until I saw that. Are the people ready to make opening arguments? At the defense table. Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, Dave Dellinger, Rennie Davis, Lee Weiner, John Freund, Tom Hayden, and Bobby Seale. These defendants had a plan, and the plan was to incite a riot. I call this portion of the trial with friends like these. <laughs> my trial's begun without my lawyer. The court assumes you are being represented by the Black Panther sitting behind you. The riots were started by the Chicago Police Department. Sustained. Nobody objected. Jurors 6 and 11, they're with us. Juror number 6 and juror number 11. You're dismissed from this jury. Can you tell us why? Because this is my courtroom. We've dealt with jury tampering, wiretapping, a defendant that was literally gagged. Get your hands off me. You are the first to suggest that I have discriminated against a black man. Then let the record show that I'm the second. That was the trailer for The Trial of the Chicago 7, Aaron Sorkin's latest film, uh, whose, I believe, letterboxed synopsis goes something like this. What was intended to be a peaceful protest at the 1968 Democratic National Convention turned into a violent clash with the police and the National Guard. The organizers of the protest, including Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, Tom Hayden, and Bobby Seale, were charged with conspiracy to incite a riot, and the trial that followed was one of the most notorious in history. Johnny Summers, like I said, this was written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. Familiarize people with his work if they don't know. 
Uh, he was the man that directed A Few Good Men, Charlie Wilson's War, The Social Network, Moneyball, Molly's Game, and Steve Jobs. Ooh, before you keep going, he's also the creator of one of my, and I, we had this conversation, uh, feels weird to say, but I think years ago, um, where one of his shows called The Newsroom was in my top five shows of all time. Um, he's just a great, uh, he also directed and writ, uh, wrote and I think directed several episodes of The West Wing. And I want to make a minor correction. He didn't actually direct a lot of those movies. He wrote for most of them. He did mm. direct Molly's Game and obviously this, but he he did his first uh, writing adventure was A Few Good Men. And then all the other stuff you said was also uh, his writing, uh, various directors over the years. But I feel like he wrote Moneyball or directed Moneyball. Am I tripping? Um, I don't know for sure, but I think I think you are. But I'm not positive. I can check while you tell me who was in this movie. Nah, that's fine. Let's just move on. Okay. <clears throat> so we had Eddie Redmayne as Tom Hayden. He was a leader and one of the and one time president of the Students for a Democratic Society or the SDS. You have Alex Sharp as Rennie Davis. He was the national organizer of community organizing for the SDS. National organizer of community organizing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's organizing all the communities in the nation to organize. Sure. Gotcha. That's a sure. confusing title. We it absolutely is. <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen played Abby Hoffman. He was the founding member of the Youth International Party, better known as Yippies. Jeremy Strong played Jerry Rubin. He was the founding member of the Yippies and also fantastic in this movie. Uh, John Carroll Lynch as David Dellinger. He was the leader of the National Mobilization Committee to end the war in Vietnam, also known as MOBE. We also had Noah Robbins as Lee Weiner and <laughs> Daniel Flaherty as John Freunds. Yes. Uh, when did this come? When did this come to Netflix? Uh, this was released to Netflix October sixteenth, twenty twenty. Perfect. So this we were we were kind of, you know, if you've been listening to this show or if you listen to any shows or you follow movie release schedules this year, like it's been kind of a strange year for theatrical releases and streaming releases. So last week we were talking about what to watch and, and Johnny, you mentioned this film and at the time I was completely oblivious to it. Like I'm obviously a big fan of Aaron Sorkin. And I didn't even know this was coming out. Um, no kidding. And then I did some digging and I was like, Oh, well, of course, like, yeah, I'd love to cover this movie. I also didn't know about this story. Uh, allegedly oh, really? like, from the description, like, yeah, one of the most notorious court cases in history. And if what is portrayed in this movie is anything close to what actually happened, rightly so, this is wild to watch. Um, and I want to throw it to you first because you clearly had some conception of this film, uh, if not the actual case. So uh, um, what were your original takeaways from this? Yeah. First of all, before we go any further, also I wanted to include in our, our names of people playing in this movie, sure. uh, Yahya Abdul Mateen II played Bobby Seal. He was one of the yeah. very important characters in history in this movie. And he was also... Uh, portrayed, he was portraying Bobby Seale, who was a, a yep. leader in the Black Panther movement. I believe he was the leader of the Chicago chapter. Yeah, he was the national chairman of the, I think, the Chicago uh, chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I was familiar with certain elements of this story. Um, I, I did a little research basically when I saw some trailers and I was like, I don't know a lot about this. I mm-hmm. was, uh, I knew a lot of the names, particularly Bobby Seale. Yeah. Uh, I've seen several documentaries because I'm absolutely fascinated by um, the Black Panthers and what they did in the 60s and the things that they did for uh, their communities and children and uh, progressing equal rights. Um, and I, I'm, I'm 
pretty into it. I've watched a bunch, like I said, a bunch of documentaries. So if I'm fairly familiar yeah, with the story of Bobby Seal. If I'm not mistaken, Bobby Seal is one of the, I think he's one of the co-founders. It was him and um, uh, what's, uh, Huey P. Newton, right? I believe I think so. it was the two of them that actually founded the Black Panther Party. So so him, well, we'll get into kind of his role in this film, but, but yeah, like you're absolutely right. I just wanted to make that distinction. I hope I'm right. If I'm not, please don't uh, hold me to it. Yeah, Bobby Seale um, actually founded the Black Panthers with Huey P. Newton. Sweet. Okay, great. Yeah. So I was familiar with his story and that he was involved in this trial. Um, and I was more familiar with the history uh, from the Black Panther perspective than any other perspective. So as far as the, the actual history surrounding this trial and the importance of it, I was not as keyed in. Sure. Uh, and did like a little bit of research, like I said, and then seeing the movie also. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much my extent of the knowledge. And you said you knew pretty much nothing going in. Yeah. I was basically sort of a blank slate. Like I, I, I don't know, man, Vietnam, the Vietnam war in American history is such a time, like it was so fraught with all sorts of controversy. And like this particular film takes place in between the transition of a lot of people in power. So yeah, like I know some stuff, but I'd never heard this story ever in like history class or I, you know, there's certainly not been a movie about it that I know of. Um, so no, this was, this was new territory for me for sure. Nice. Well, um, do we want to give like a brief overview of what it was about and then give our thoughts like we usually do? Yeah. I wanted to mention a couple more key players in, in terms of characters and actors. You have sort of the main defense lawyer for, for what would be called the Chicago seven. Um, and that was guy named William uh, Kunstler. It was played by Mark Rylance here. You also had Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing a role mm-hmm. as the uh, the prosecuting attorney. Uh, and he was also, I, I don't know, like I like him as an actor and I think he brings a lot of charisma and you almost want to root for him instinctively or I do. Um, and I think he delivers this really good performance of like, like sort of icy and, and villainous, but also somebody that you can see has principles. And I, I don't know. I think, I think it was a really nice way to humanize a character as opposed to uh, the actor Frank Langella, who plays Judge Julius Hoffman, who had to be like one of the most infuriate, infuriating, infuriating judges I have ever seen in a movie. Like, you just wanted to say inferior, inferior, yeah, infuriating. <laughs> um, but like, I don't know, man. It's one of those things that you, you, I was watching. I was like, man, if this wasn't based on a true story, like this could not be a real person in charge of interpreting the law. And passing judgment. But yeah. apparently that dude existed. Um, I mean, and it's nice that they addressed it in the movie. They're like, I think our judge might have some issues. Like, should we get an examination of him? Mm-hmm. Um, so like that performance for me was maybe true to history, but but felt very one-dimensional and, and, and kind of mustachy, twirly, and very villainous. But um, yeah, I mean that was the, those are the people that I wanted to mention. Certainly, okay. Um, now let's have a synopsis. Sure, <clears throat> you're gonna have to help me probably. But basically, there were some riots about. All right, from yeah. Clutterboxed. Okay, what was intended to be a peaceful protest? Motherfucker, the I read this. I read this actual thing. <laughs> did you? Yeah, it's literally at the top of your notes, my friend. I know, but I don't. I didn't remember you reading it. I did. Um, I was right. gonna. I thought you meant like break it up a little bit more. Oh um, no, no. It's we've. Had, I forgot completely. Oh no, yeah, so, we hit, we hit that. But I, I still feel okay. like that's pretty pretty broad. Yeah. Well, then, um, I guess if there's any points you want to hit on, but mainly I just want your thoughts overall on the movie. 
Right. Okay. So my emotional arc, which started from you suggesting this movie was like, okay, point one, never heard of it. Point two, Aaron Sorkin writing and directing. So I'm very about it. Um, point three is like, Oh, this is a, another, he's been like doing a lot of stuff lately. His last few projects have been real stories adapted for the screen, which is fine. I think he does some well, I wasn't super stoked on Molly's game. We covered that on the show years ago. I mean, it was, it was fine. Um, but I think he started leaning towards dramatizing real life stories that maybe haven't been told elsewhere, which I'm a big fan of, but ultimately I think I was a little bit underwhelmed. I think there were some great performances, including Joseph Gordon-Levitt for sure. Sasha Baron Cohen, who we've talked about as uh, Borat, certainly probably the biggest one, like not somebody that I love his work most of the time, but I think he pulled off his role here very well. Um, Eddie Redmayne as well. Like he's, he's most recently done sort of the fantastic beasts kind of franchise, which, you know, I don't, you can listen to those episodes if you want. I don't think he's done great lately, but he did the Danish girl, which was awesome. I think he redeemed himself here. I guess I think that this was a story that needed to be told. And I think that it was told pretty well, but didn't leave me with sort of any cinematic, uh, you know, impressions outside of like the, the truth of it all. So it was, it was, it was better than average, but still kind of fine. What about you? Um, yeah, I'm going to kind of agree with that. Um, so my thoughts were that first of all, it seemed in parts, I mean, obviously it's, it's a recreation of events. So, I mean, I, you know, it's the world we live in. I I have to watch everything with skeptical eyes. Like, Mm. you know, is this true to life? Is this being told with a lens? Um, you know, or if this was, you know, very accurate to the events that took place, Mm -hmm. then, you know, how do I feel about that? So you have to weigh that and do your own research and, and whatnot. But from, like you said, from a movie making point of view, it did tell the story very well. It did, uh, you know, bring to light all of the events, uh, and it showcased an absolute miscarriage of our justice system Mm. and just the complete absurdity that is our system at times, because, you know, the system does fail from time to time. And this (laughs) is, this is one of those times. And it was really fascinating to see that that happened so long ago. Also, it has some social, uh, relevance this day and age sure. because they're dealing with the ability to protest, the right to protest, um, things that are still very relevant, and the right for people to speak out peacefully against their government, which is you know very important. It's a right that we have, and I think it's interesting that I mean it's been 50. pushed back against yeah. for for generations. We are not the first, and we will not be the last. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely struck a chord with history that we're watching right now and the world that we live in. Uh, some of the scenes could have been a city in any town America within the last three months. Dude, so, so if, if I'm not mistaken, um, and I don't, I don't have the facts in front of me, but I believe that this script was written by Sorkin in 2007. Um, wow. Originally slated for, I think, Soderbergh to direct it. Um, but okay. he was he was asked about sort of the time, like what you're talking about, like the timeliness of what's going on. And he said, um, well, he described the film as being more about modern day than the 1960s. And he said specifically, quote, the script didn't change to mirror the times. The times changed to mirror the script. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And it, I mean, it speaks to the fact like we are in this time where it's like if you speak against sort of. I mean, depending on kind of where you fall ethically and politically and, and ideologically, like is speaking out against authority 
intrinsically bad or are you doing your job as, as a specifically American citizen? Like, and this movie has a really, really strong through line to the sort of genesis of those ideas. Like, yeah, like, Mm -hmm. like protesting police oppression, much less violence, which we're still experiencing today, obviously. Like, I don't know, man, that, that is the part of the movie that for me was like, Oh, like this is, this is very topical. I'm glad you brought that up. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. So, and that's, it's crazy to, to hear that it was written so long ago. I know. Um, I know. Yeah. So, I mean, it's telling this story that's all too relevant and, uh, you know, speaking out and whatnot, but you know, that being said, it had a great message and it definitely did showcase a real, real, like I said, miscarriage of our, our justice system, uh, but as a movie, like it didn't really leave me like shook per se. Sure. I don't know if that's just being jaded by the times, but it did not leave. <laughs> yeah. Like it didn't feel like a huge impact uh, when the movie resolved. I kind of just had this like, huh? Okay. I mean, I mean, yeah. Okay. I mean, in a way that it, that was kind of, we'll get to this when we start spoiling yeah, it, but yeah. it, it felt, yeah, it was like a victory, but also like it was the thing that kind of should have happened. So, right. Right. Yeah, but I think it was a good movie. I don't think it was great. It was definitely worth a watch. And if nothing else, this is a good movie that triggers you possibly into learning more about the history of this trial and um, things like that. Because I think no matter what side you fall on politically, I think it's important to be an informed citizen uh, and look at everything with super skeptical hippo eyes. In that vein, I mean, we're recording this in late October, and there's a conversation that happens in the movie between... um between Eddie Redmayne's character and Sasha Baron Cohen's character. And the, the gist of it is like, here's all the things I stand for. Eddie Redmayne's character says, uh, and then most importantly, like you got to win an election to make those dreams a reality. And I think it's probably worth throwing in like a, if you haven't had a chance yet, probably go vote for people. Mm -hmm. Cause we're almost in November and it's a weird time in the world. That was point number one. Um, Mm -hmm. Point number two is, yeah, like I agree totally with what you're saying, but I was going to pull it back a little bit to sort of like a filmmaking perspective. Like, are you, are you a fan of Sorkin's work in general? Like we talked about those movies that he wrote in the beginning of this. Um, and I want to talk about this before we get to spoiler stuff, but like, um, generally speaking, like Aaron Sorkin is fairly, um, I mean, his political stuff is different, like the newsroom and and the West wing, obviously, but as far as dialogue goes, like he's got a very specific style. It's, it's very quick witted and people talking over each other. Like, does that stuff work for you? And, and I think it's worth noting that there's a lot of that here and does it work here? Uh, it does usually work for me. And I thought it was pulled off absolutely adequately Mm -hmm. in this movie. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a point that I enjoyed more so than others. Okay. Cause for me, like, I, I think so too. Like, it's probably not his best sort of, um, witty dialogue writing, but it was hard not to draw comparisons to, for example, a few good men, which he wrote, or even, I mean, way further back, like 12 angry men, like courtroom dramas that pit the ideas of the maybe citizen against the system. Yep. Um, and there's a particular scene in this movie and I won't spoil it until we get into spoiler talk, but like you have sort of this general collapse of ideology and it was so reminiscent of, uh, I don't know the last time you watched 12 angry men, but there's one character in that movie that has like his tensions just building and building and building, like trying to indict this one, uh, this one character. And he just finally collapses into this emotional puddle of despair. Cause he's like holding on to his own baggage. And there's a moment in this movie and actually there might be several, but it's so resonant for like 
I don't know, man, it just left me feeling like we've been dealing with this basically since we decided as a country to have due process of law. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that heavy through line in, in this film that connects to like all sorts of legacies of the American sort of dream that uh, it's, it's that kind of stuff that I think is going to stick with me instead of maybe, you know, Sorkin's dialogue or particular performances. It's the, it's the idea that uh, almost like we've been striving for something and then we've been coming up short pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. 100% man. Yeah. Um, Anything else you want to talk about before we start spoiling it? No, let's rate it and let's let's get to the spoiling. Okay, then out of 10, The Trial of the Chicago 7, Johnny Summers. For me, it's like a like a 6.8. Yeah. Like I I agree completely. As a movie, it fell a little flat, but I really liked the thoughts that it provoked and I liked the ideas and the curiosity that it could inspire and it's an I'm be, it's not a great movie, but it's a it's a movie about something important that happened in history that we should all know a little bit more about. And I mean, how often do I ask the question, why did this movie get made? Mm-hmm. Did it need to get made? Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, the answer to that is a resounding and very crystal clear yes, this movie needed to get made. And the answer to why it got made was to enlighten us to this trial and to so much more that hasn't changed since the 60s that we're still fighting against and Raging against the machine, man. Sure. So, yeah, I think it's important. I think you should learn about this trial and, and you know, pay attention to what's going on in the world around you and all that fun stuff. So I think it's it's a 6.8 for me. What did, what what would you going to rate? Yeah, I'm going to go with a 7 out of 10, man. Like, I, I'm right there with you. It's it's a story that should be told. I think it speaks a lot. Like, the idea that I hadn't heard about this is, is troubling, certainly. Um, I don't think that this was a movie that could have only been told or a story that could have only been told as a movie by Sorkin, but it is something that is, is nice to know. Um, they're good performances and, and, and the modern day implications I think are the big takeaway for me. Um, it, it's like just, I think what is it, like two hours and, uh, 12 minutes, something like that. Yeah. And it's on Netflix. Like most people have access. So I'd, I'd say, check it out for sure. Um, are you okay to spoil the trial of Chicago seven? Yeah, let's move on to the danger zone. Okay, one final warning. If you haven't seen the trial of the Chicago 7, we are going to spoil stuff moving forward. If you want to skip through this, check the episode description, and we will take you by the hand to Hot and Bothered. But in the meantime, Johnny, where do we start? Well, I mean, if we're talking about it like we just all saw it, it was pretty satisfying that they didn't get uh, any jail time and that that everyone decided that that judge was fucking insane. Dude, Man, that was maybe because <sighs> I, I think the the big sort of not big, but like maybe the first twist was was Bobby Seal getting off mm-hmm. of of his sentence, and also like when they took him behind and like gagged him and like for sure beat him a bunch. Mm-hmm. Like I at that point I was like I wonder how true this is to real life. Like are they yeah. just fudging details? And and actually no, I looked it up and I'm I'm not sure exactly who did it, but he was bound and gagged in court for like three days. Jesus Christ. I know. And and that was the first moment, or maybe not the first, but like the first action that was taken by Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, Richard Schultz, the prosecutor, to be like, hey, like, this is fucking America, man. Like, you can't do this to the judge. Yeah. And he like had to beg the judge, like, hey, give him a mistrial and let him go. He's not even a part of this at all. Like, you're you're trying to make the the pool of people you're prosecuting look worse by putting a member of the Black Panther Party in it, which mm-hmm. is so fucked. Yeah, it was so fucked. Like, 
like you keep saying in the movie, he was there for four hours and left. Yeah. Uh, so my god yeah he should have never even been there which is the distinction between uh Jessica gordon levitt's character richard schultz and tom foreign uh played by jc mckenzie the other prosecutor like in that final scene where everybody's standing up in solidarity for the fallen soldiers like tom foreign's like i'm out no way Ugh. what do you think of that sort of um i mean it was sort of a long foreshadowed like i'm making this list of fallen soldiers in vietnam so yeah, we don't forget it was it was Chekhov's list of soldiers. <laughs> yeah, it was. And it was very effective. And I think it's a really good point. But it was telegraphed, you know, pretty hard. Yeah, it was not like surprising this heartfelt. No. I was hoping for a speech out of Eddie Redmayne's character. I was hoping for a speech out of Aaron Sorkin's writing. But So yeah. both. Yeah, for sure. There wasn't. I mean, the really the closest thing we got to a speech for me was uh, with Sasha Baron Cohen's uh, when he took the stand. And that was even really really shortened trunk is truncated the right sure. word yeah, it is yeah sick ass sick <laughs> cool um, uh, yeah 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 so i was bummed out a little that it didn't go on longer like they had could have shown more nuanced points of view from the people on trial mm. i felt like that was kind of the thing i was like a lot of those characters like just came off as a little one-dimensional you mean like, the the defendants or the uh yeah 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 and there was seven of them and i think three of the seven maybe had two lines like did their families not sign off on this movie like why the fuck weren't they well, real people like i, I mean so like the, the, the dude with glasses and the dude with long hair like nobody Wait. even really knew who they were or why they were there well no they addressed that in the movie they're like they're, they're basically sort of like freebies right there's there's two characters um and i i believe it was uh lee weiner and john Freunds who were played by noah robbins and daniel flaherty respectively and basically in the movie, there's like, you're here basically so that when the five of us go to jail, you get seen as like the people that get let off because the jury's fair and the judge is fair. Like you're, you're the, you're the, you're the scapegoat kind of. Mm, yeah. Um. So I, I, I don't, I didn't mind that. Like they were clearly just pawns in sort of the greater scheme of the government. Yeah. Yeah. What, I just would have liked to have seen a bit more out of like the writing, like you said, like mm. I was expecting some more speeches, some more like thought provoking, but it was like all thought provoking, like moments. It wasn't like thought provoking, like speeches. It was like things in passing, like, you know, the, the couple exchanges between Redmayne and, and Sasha Baron Cohen's character, like in the house after yeah. the things like, you know, battling back and forth about ideals and like, sure. A cultural revolution versus like an actual revolution. I mean, there was depth to it there, but yeah, you, from Sorkin, you're expecting the big, the big speech. Totally. And I, I think like there, there was maybe the idea of a big speech, but it kind of gets diluted. Like what you're saying, like those conversations between those two characters are great. And then moments later, um, you have a conversation sort of almost like an interrogation, between uh, Tom Hayden with Eddie Redmayne and their defense lawyer. Um, and it's just like, he's like, here's why you, we can't put you on this. This is uh, William Kunstler, by the way, Mark Rylance's character. It's like, here's what will happen. We found this tape of you basically inciting the riot that this whole thing is based on. And like, let's play it out. And like, he totally collapses. Eddie Redmayne does. Um, like, that's a good scene. It's an emotional scene. And like, if you see the stuff that that character does, like, of course you're going to react that way. Like, it's a moment of human fallacy. Like that's going to happen. Um, mm -hmm. I just, I, I don't know. You do sort of expect with the Sorkin writing, like there's going to be sort of this finality and like this, like three or four minutes sort of um, monologue at the end. Like this is what's wrong with the situation. This is how we fix it. 
and then the movie yeah. cuts out, but it, it doesn't quite play out that way. Yeah, you never get that really like satisfying ending, which is weird because you think you would have with them actually getting Not, off. Totally, totally. Yeah, like it was a f- satisfying result, but there was no like gratifying speech moment. But I mean, it's pretty cool that they got off. That like sure. they they got sentenced to five years, and then they didn't get because they what was it. The appeals court approved the appeal, and then the attorney general decided not to retry the case, so it was just sure. a wash. Sorry, we just wasted all your time. Cool. And a, a lot Bye. of time. A lot of time. Lot, so, dude, what would they get to, like, 150 days? Like, I remember, like, I know, this trial like, is lasting dude. forever. Get a better Can't judge. Imagine. Can't what imagine. What a drag that guy was. Uh, yeah. Like, how do you do that? I don't think I, don't I could have been that patient. No. No, and a lot of them weren't. Which makes sense. I was like, yeah, good for you. Yeah. Kill this like guy. The, the one lawyer got charged with like 24 counts of contempt of court. I know. I don't even know what that means anymore. I'm like, what is, okay, like, you How get much one contempt, contempt is- of court. It's like, okay, that's bad. But like after three, it's like, fuck it. Like, give me some more. I don't get, like, what does it mean? Give me all the contempt. Yeah. I'm so contempted right now. What is it? Is like a swear <laughs> jar? Every contempt, yeah, right. you get a dollar? Right. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, I think that was kind of the main stuff that I wanted to talk about. You got anything else? I think that's it, man. There's not much else that's like spoiler besides the ending. And nah. I'm glad that judge got like kicked out of being a judge because yeah, what a you. bad approval rating that guy got. Yeah. Real bad. Okay. And <laughs> on that note, uh, that is the trial of the Chicago seven. If you watch it on Netflix, let us know what you think. We'd love to hear it. And let's move into our final segment of the show. Johnny Summers hot and bothered. Yes. It's my favorite part of this week and every week. How's your week been? Then don't you dare quote that show right now. <laughs> <laughs> but although it has sort of fallen into that format, I guess. Uh, yeah. And if you don't watch that show or listen to that show, I mean, uh, Pop Culture Happy Hour is kind of what he was referencing. They covered this. I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm going to now that we've talked about it. This show or Unfucking Crustables? Um, no, they covered they covered um, Fresh Hop Cinema. They actually oh, great. reviewed us. Great news. Great news. No, they covered Trial of the Chicago Oh, 7. cool. I'll check it out. Yeah, so I am very excited to listen to that. I always try, like, when they're doing the same thing we are. Yeah. I never listen to to it before we record. Sure, Because then, like, I've I've said it once. I'll say it a million times. I will just parrot everything that one guy says. Glenn Weldon, come on, man. Yeah, I haven't listened. I haven't listened in a couple weeks because they've been covering stuff we cover. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I'll just parrot Glenn Weldon because I want to be Glenn Weldon when I grow up. Sure. So, um. Yeah, my week's been good. It's been busy and weird and hot and cold. Yes, then no. I mean, it's just been everywhere. (laughs) But it's been good. I have a couple things that I'm hot about. I mean, and then, you know, an underlying tone of bothered at everything like this whole year. Not me. We could just, no? I don't care anymore. I don't care. Perfect. There you go. That's that just deep, just self-hatred that we were talking about. That's imposter syndrome. Yes, exactly. But All of I, the above. Don't make me have just said unfucking crustables for no reason. What does that mean yeah. in your notes? Well, that is the thing that one of the things that I am very hot about this week okay. is unfucking crustables because I am a fucking addicted to them. Okay. Oh man, have you ever had uncrustables? Yeah, when I was not an adult. Yeah, but you've never had them since you've been an adult. Okay, like maybe once, but I don't know. May- maybe I know. Like within the last five years? Uh, no. So I will tell people that also have not. They're like little tiny peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, um, without the crust. They're like stamped into this sort of circular shape, and you don't have to worry about yeah. the crust because kids don't like crust. 
They're little white bread hockey pucks full of peanut butter yes. and jelly. <laughs> and they are they're near perfect because like if you they come frozen and you just yeah. thaw them out and eat them. But yeah. like I keep them in the fridge. Oh shit, I have had them. Sorry, I bought them at Costco once, like a year ago. They're so good. They're great. Like you could just eat them all the time. And they're like 200 calories so like you can have one and be full for a while oh i think you're misguided on that no i i checked they're 210 calories each 28 grams of sugar oh bro i ate one like three hours ago (laughs) okay (laughs) keep going maybe they've gotten smaller since you had them maybe Maybe they come in different sizes but yeah so i was uh um chico natural foods and buddy that works there has to like go pick up his kids from school because they only go to school for two hours. Mm-hmm. Long story short, one of his kids hates peanut butter and he's coming to work with like an Uncrustable that they don't eat every day because the school gives them Uncrustables. Okay. And he's like, I can't eat any more of these. Do you want this? And I'm like, yes, fat kids like sandwiches. Sure. So Uri, if you're listening, you awoke a real problem with me because <laughs> I am completely hooked on Uncrustables now. I have in my work truck, I drive a big refrigerated truck, and I've got a box of strawberry and a box of grape Uncrustables in my truck at this moment right now for my on-the-go lunch slash breakfast needs. That's great. It's a problem. But I love them. They're so good. They are so good. And they're really not the worst thing for you. Like, they're not great, but, like, it's better than, like, going to McDonald's or, like, having a bowl of cereal by a lot. I mean, what kind of cereal are you eating? Like, like legit ass, like Lucky Charms and shit. That's not legit ass. That's I oh, eat raisin dude. bran. I, but you could get that raisin bran crunch. This got that like maple. <laughs> oh, it's so it's so good. good. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, you don't. Yeah, you can eat just grape nuts with no sugar. You're Ugh. a cereal killer. Yeah, that's but disgusting. if you're like me, whoa, 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 want, whoa, like, whoa, 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 you have to address uh, the fact that you said cereal killer in that sentence because that would. <laughs> yeah, that was an un. Unpun, unplanned pun. Great, keep going. Um, yeah, but I don't, I don't, I'm not a cereal killer. I want, I want the sugar cereal. I want the honey smacks. I want the honeycomb. I want the cinnamon toasty crunch, man. And if I can't have those, I'm gonna have an unfucking crustable because it's only 210 calories. Fair, it's healthy. By that logic, uncrustables are health food. Well, I'll take it. I mean, you did have this conversation in a health food store. Yeah, it was given to me in a health food store. So. Good work. Yeah, that means it's legit. <laughs> Speaking of health food, the other thing that I am stoked about is more beer, because sure. I live a healthy, clean life full <laughs> of, you know, uncrustables very... and slice brewing. Yeah, man. I promote longevity pretty much in everything I do. This podcast, not excluded. So, in addition to uncrustables, I'm also going to be purchasing some beer this week from Slice Brewing Company. They're doing a triple can release on ten twenty three, and they're coming out with a Halloween themed beer with a Halloween themed glass. And like T-shirts, and I'm really stoked on it. It's called Tales from the Dank Side. It's a West Coast, oh right, 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 West Coast double IPA with Mosaic, Simcoe, Yukonot, and Apollo. Uh, and I'm really excited. I'm gonna be ordering some. I might get. Uh, they're doing uh, the one West Coast double and then two hazies. Okay, I might get a four pack of the hazy. I'm not super stoked on either of them. If any of you listen to this show ever, you know that I'm a. I'm a West Coast clear beer kind of guy, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm definitely stoked because I read that the the beer glass is actually painted matte black. So I'm 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 that's be yeah like, that's your meat and potatoes for sure. That's my shit, bro. I'm I'm on this. I'm here for it. Like Hubie Halloween, I'm ready. 
Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna drink <laughs> beer out of that flat black glass for our Halloween episode next week. So I'm super stoked on that. Well, can I so have that's one my of, hot this week? I want one of the extras. Can I have one? Uh, yes. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Great. I mean, we need to look and see how long it's been since we've done slice because we could just do it for the show. Uh, it's been it's been long so, enough, I think. Well, we'll check. Plus, it's a Halloween themed beer, so it could be fun to throw in the mix last week. Sure. That's a decision to be made off air because people don't pay us enough to hear that Agreed. nugget of just deliciousness. So that's my things, man. I got Uncrustables and Slice Brewing. So take a slice of an Uncrustable and think of me. Fair. I will. I've had okay. I've had quite the week of um, content digestion. Um, okay. There's been a lot of stuff. I feel like I, it, when it rains, it pours for me. Like I either don't watch anything new or like I've just watched everything night after night. So I want to start with something called the Midnight Gospel, and it is a an adult cartoon, as quantified by Wikipedia, that was released to Netflix in April of this year. So like just after the pandemic started, um, and it was it was brought to my attention by my cousin Madison, and it's one of those things that she was like, "Hey, like check this out. I think you'd appreciate it." And she probably hit me up in like May, and I think I started it, but like never latched on, and then. It, between when we recorded our last episode and now she hit me up again. I was like, Hey, did you ever watch that show? And I was like, Oh no, I kind of forgot. And I checked it out again. So I will start by saying that it is on Netflix and it's, it's this, I've only watched two episodes. One it's and a half. fantastic. So you've seen it as well. Uh, I'm a huge Duncan Trussell fan. Of course you are. I was actually um, watching it. I was like, I think Johnny would love this. Yeah, no, I I listen to Duncan Trussell's the Duncan Trussell Family Hour like almost every week whenever right. it comes out. That's his podcast, right? Okay. Um, you might as well yeah. take the reins on this because that's exactly what I was going to go to. Oh yeah, so Duncan Trussell is pretty much the through line through this whole psychedelic podcast of a television show. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's like a well known psychonaut or psychedelic explorer. Yeah. Uh, in the realm of all kinds of mind-altering drugs. He's very open about it. He talks about it on his podcast a lot. Um, and it's it's pretty interesting, his take on it, because it's not one of a casual drug bro. He like he approaches it in a very intellectual way yeah. and speaks to it in that intellectual fashion. And he's got a very interesting point of view that, that quite frankly, I appreciate as someone who dabbles a bit in that realm sure. and also like doesn't want people to talk about it in a largely digested way that sound like idiots. <laughs> um, yeah. So the show, the midnight gospel is, is pretty much led by the hand by Duncan Trussell. And it, if you just listen to it, it is almost in podcast it's format. It's the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's an anim. It's like a super psychedelic alternate reality animated podcast. Wait, where wait, can you hand the reins, episode- can you hand the reins back yeah. to me for one second? Take it. Wikipedia. Set in a dimension known as the Chromatic Ribbon, a space caster named Clancy Gilroy owns an unlicensed multiverse simulator. Through it, he travels through bizarre worlds on the brink of disaster, interviewing some of their residents for his space cast. Effectively, his podcast. Continue. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's what it is, man. Every episode, it's it's Clancy or Duncan Trussell mm-hmm. uh, talking to different people and, and like recording it. And, uh, yeah, it's fascinating because the animation is just the most insane, vivid, trippy colors. Yeah. And the interviews are actually really fascinating. Like, yeah. Some of the conversations he has are, like, absolutely just mind-bendingly fascinating. Like, 
Yeah, the one with Doctor Drew was amazing. Like, there's like there was the first some one, really good ones. Yeah, and it's just it's really mind stimulating conversation with very visually stimulating eye sugar to look at with this yes. animation. Uh, I yeah, so I'm stoked you've been watching it. I'm I'm a huge fan. I loved the Midnight Gospel. So it's something I thought you would never enjoy. I and I probably like I don't think I would check it out if it weren't for like a family recommendation. But the, but the episode you're talking about with 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 Doctor Drew Drew Pinsky is is actually episode one. It's called The Taste of the King, and this character in the cartoon Clancy visits um, a simulation of of our Earth uh, in the show Earth four one six nine, which is in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. And he basically just crashes into earth and, and adopts his avatar of, I think it's called like the beach bot avatar. And he spends time in the white house with the current president talking about like, uh, marijuana legality and like gun rights and like all sorts of stuff. And I was watching it, I guess for the second time, cause I can't really remember the first time back in uh, April or May, but I was like, this feels like a real conversation. Like what sort of brain writes this for a show? And then I looked it up and I was like, no, it's actually a conversation from a podcast, um, mm-hmm. which is a really, really cool idea for a show. So to your point, like I probably wouldn't watch this if it were just a random cartoon. Like I know that, uh, what's the show you like with, uh, the guy with the spiky hair is the scientist. Oh, Rick and Morty. Yeah. Like Rick and Morty. I'm sure it's great. I've heard great things, but it's not for me. And here it's like, instead of, um, a cartoon being, uh, created for a cartoons purpose, it's a cartoon being created for like a conversations purpose. Right. Um, I don't know, man. I, I was super hooked on it and I'm going to for sure follow up. So it's on Netflix, the midnight gospel. Uh, if you have thoughts, let me know for sure. I, I'd like some uh, affirmation to keep going. Also, you should definitely please try Rick and Morty again. It's one of the best con- cartoons of our generation. I know. I know. I know. It's, and it's true. super like up, like highbrow, intelligent meta, yeah. okay. like commentary too. like, right. yeah, there's dick jokes and there's just dumb sure. shit. <laughs> And sure. like there's, but it's also like the most meta comedic commentary. Like I don't understand how you don't already love it. And it kind of bums me out. I haven't spent time watching it really enough. I haven't spent enough time. Yeah. Well, you, you should, you should All give right. it some time. All right. I'll try it again. All right, man. Anything else got you hot? Two more things. The first one is, 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 um, not a sequel, but something in the same universe as, uh, the haunting of Hill house, which we both liked. There is a new show on Netflix called The Haunting of Bly Manor by I'm on it. Cool. By the same creator, yep. Mike Flanagan. And instead of uh being based on a, a Shirley Jackson novel, it's based on some other stuff. But I will just say, and I'm trying to be brief here, like it's I'm I'm like four to five episodes in. You can be boxers if you want, man. We got all the time you need. <laughs> in case anybody didn't get it, he was making a boxers briefs comparison. Oh, oh stop it. <laughs> um so basically it's a, it's a, it's a series on Netflix. It's a supernatural sort of horror drama deal again, created by Mike Flanagan. Um, and I believe the creator of the original work is Henry James. And, um, as Wikipedia would have it, the synopsis is the story tells of a young governess hired by a man to look after his niece and nephew at the family country house after they fall into his care, arriving at the Bly estate. She begins to see apparitions that proceed to haunt the premises. It's nine episodes long. Again, I'm like four, maybe five in. Um, a lot of the same cast from Hill House is in this, and they just they're doing such a good job, man. Like like the environment and the tone and just sort of the 
general sense of kind of creepiness is so dialed in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and like I've, I've grown into a horror fan over the past few years on the show. Like I don't like slasher stuff or maybe like torture porn, but if you give me a good mood piece in the Victorian creepy mansion, love it. I feel like I, I I'm somewhat responsible for you a are, little bit. You of are that. at least 95% responsible. <laughs> yes. Um, so I'll, I'll tune in next week for my sort of final, final overview of this. But, but if you have a chance, definitely check it out on Netflix, the haunting of Bly Manor. I can confirm that. I think I'm about the same amount of episodes in as you. And okay. I've been digging it. Cool. Then very lastly, I have dived in headfirst into the work of S Craig Zoller, who is a film director who has done a few things, but most notably the ones that I've watched bone Tomahawk in 2015 starring Kurt Russell and others. And that movie fucks <laughs> and brawl in cell block 99 in 2017 starring Vince Vaughn. So you've seen definitely bone Tomahawk. I gather. I read like one review about the scene and I'm like, well, I have to watch that now. And isn't it fucked up that we can both be like the scene. Yeah. So I gave on Letterboxd, Bone Tomahawk, two out of five stars. Okay. And I wrote in my review, this was a slog. Obviously, that only applies until the movie isn't a slog. I won't spoil it. <laughs> but suffice to say, there's a certain uh, cave-based meal prep scene that left me without an appetite. <laughs> uh, <laughs> despite all that, I wanted to root for this movie, but I couldn't. And I mean, like, my God, there's a lot of trudging in that film. And yeah. like literally sometimes that trudging is just limping. They're just limping across a desert. There's like a solid hour of this movie that I think would have been smartly just consolidated into like two, three minute montages by a more focused director. Again, like this is his directorial debut and you know, some leeway is given there, but like add to the list that the only female character given any actual screen time is like basically just a MacGuffin for these half drawn tough guys whose dialogue sounds like it was written by like a 15 year old kid wondering what Wyatt Earp from Toonstone might have sounded like if he lived in a grittier world and then diluted. Mm-hmm. So I don't also like, I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that Matthew Fox who played um, <laughs> Jack on lost, like he mm-hmm. crushes it in this movie. Like I'd watch his movie, but I don't know, man, this movie was so dreary and like so torturous and violent and, and, and tough. Like, I don't even know why I started the director's second movie, Brawl in Cell Block 99, but I did last night. <laughs> and because, like, there's something fascinating about, like, this ultra violence. And I wondered if, like, maybe it was just the Western setting that didn't work. And I watched Cell, or Brawl in Cell Block 99, and I gave it three and a half out of five, which is considerably better. And I, and I wrote this in my review, like, after watching this and Bone Tomahawk, like, it's clear that this director just has a really strong fixation on, like, you know, like stereotypically machismo dudes, but here, as opposed to Kurt Russell, Vince Vaughn's character gave me somebody to root for Mm. like an underdog or an average Joe, if you will. But where bone Tomahawk asked me to put like my faith in like the system and like the people in power conquering the weirdos and the, you know, native Americans in the fringe, this movie brawl in cell block 99 wanted me to believe in like the, uh, I don't know, like the down on his luck, tough guy trying to do right by his wife and his unborn child taking on the system, like one little fucked up prison structure at a time. And I think I'm in the minority when I say that 
I was a fan of um, True Detective season two, but like Vince Vaughn's got some real gritty dramatic chops that are almost never on display, but here he gets to do it and he nails it. Like he's got this weird sort of um, like flat marbly facade on his face and he only cracks it whenever necessary. And he like, like every little twitch in his eyebrow is like a whole story. And it's this really interesting character template that gives way more latitude for forgiveness. Like, like you can root for this kind of shitty dude, but he's doing shitty things to even shittier people. Like in another movie, I'd be like, well, this guy's an asshole, but here I'm like, he's like, he's doing what I would do if I were tougher, <laughs> you know? And he gets to do like his mm-hmm. Vince Vaughn wink, uh, which you have to have in a Vince Vaughn movie. Um, and again, like true to this director's form, like you do have sort of this hyper violent third act the difference in uh, brawl is that like, it kind of works with the tone of the whole movie. Like it gets building up to this almost comedically cathartic sort of like release where like he murders a few people at the end. And I, I don't know, man, it really worked for me. And it was, it was such, he's got another movie out. This director does that. I think he put out in 2018 um, dragged across concrete, right? Which uh, I think has Mel Gibson. And I think Vince Vaughn again, Mm-hmm. like, and I'm, I just know when I watch it, like, I'm really hoping he's going to catch his stride. Cause like, it's, he's just latched on this like gritty, you know, maybe flawed masculinity, but like, it's so, it's so cathartic on screen. Like I'm about it, but my God, bone Tomahawk was intense. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Was. When did you see that? Uh, I probably like 2016 Okay, because it came yeah. out in 2015. So like, yeah. yeah, I didn't see it like when it was new, new, but like long enough to like probably hit video. Yeah. And then like I read, like I said, I read about like the scene. I know. I'm like, <laughs> okay, well I have to watch it now. Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah. yeah. They're both on, they're both on prime, both of these movies. Um, I would say if you're looking for my recommendation, skip bone Tomahawk. Cause it's basically just like this really like two and a half hour exercise in despair. And at least there's something redeeming in brawl and cell block 99, but I guess watch them both. If you're trying to get on this director's filmography, he's pretty new to the film scene. If you want to keep up with him, go for it. But regardless, I'd like to know what you think. There you go. Um, you got anything else? I think that's it, man. That that's it for me. I got nothing else. Okay, that's me too then. Um, as usual, the show wouldn't be what it is without the support of Bailey Minardi, and that's Johnny Summers. That's Max Minardi. We will see you next Friday for our very spooky Halloween episode. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.